Welcome back, everybody. We've taken a brief hiatus, but once again, we're back with a round with Stephen Cole coming to you pre-recorded from my mid-city bar in New Orleans, 12-mile limit. I am T. Cole Newton, and with me, as always, is my benevolent co-host... Mr. Steve Yaman. It's great to have you all back, everybody. It seems like it's been a long time. Um, me and Cole were doing a lot of traveling this month, and it was really great. Um, we'll probably talk about that in a future podcast, but we've got a really great guest on this week, and um, it seemed apropos um, to what's happening in the city and everything. Um, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Um, I am Sam Perez, uh, food and beverage director of the Catahoula Hotel, um, New Orleans native. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot going on downtown and a lot of that seems to be on the rooftops of oh, uh, several um newly opened boutique or sort of like boutique chain hotels. There I can can I can't even count on one hand anymore the number of hotels that like they have a in, they have a lobby bar and a rooftop bar and they've all opened in the last two years and they're all super cool and they're all pretty different from one to the next too so there's there's some real differentiation in style uh, most of them are in the CBD but we've seen one pop up on St Charles and it's kind of really exciting I feel like that that rooftop real estate especially in New Orleans it's a little bit cooler in the summer up there you get that breeze going it can be really really nice and it was super underutilized for many years so I'm really excited to see that happen uh, we can talk more about that. Uh, in a minute, but we always like to start off by getting just a little bit of a personal history. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to get to know Sam. I want to, wh- <laughs> who is Sam Perez? Where does Sam Perez come from? Not just, in, you know, like you're from New Orleans, but your people have been in this area for a long time. We actually talked about that a little bit uh, for a story I did for for the Tales website when we talked about interesting, like heartwarming things that happen behind the bars. So why don't you just talk a little bit about your family history because that's kind of interesting. Uh, your, your personal trajectory, how you got to be the food and beverage director of a swanky downtown t- hotel. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's just take it away. Um, yes, so my family has been here for a really long time. I am uh, part of a very, very, very small uh, culture. Uh, we are called the Islenos. Um, brought over from the Canary Islands as... Um, Trade uh, for goods, uh, bodies, bodies just to inhabit uh, mostly uninhabitable swamp area uh, as trade for goods by the Spanish government. Um, so that's fun. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, my family has been um, no longer there, but uh, for a, about 250 to 300 years, we were in uh, Lower St. Bernard Parish, mostly Delacroix, um, as trappers, hunters, and fishermen. Um, Delacroix kind of uh, doesn't really exist anymore, so um, the majority of my family is either in Slidell or Picayune these days. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my family history. I was born out there um, and uh, moved into Violet, uh, raised out in Slidell, um, and then moved out here. Um, when was that? Like five or six years ago? What brought um, you to New Orleans? <laughs> Um, not being in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> um, that actually was the same thing they brought me to New Orleans. Well, yeah. My suburbs were a little bit further away than. Yes. Um, no, I've always had, um, you know, growing up in Slidell, um, there's obviously uh, a bit of a connection to New Orleans. However, it's mostly just kind of like whitewash suburb that you could find literally anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. um but i had always found um a much stronger cultural connection to new orleans than um, most other people that i grew up with so 
when the opportunity arose for me to get the hell out of Dodge, I did just that and moved out to the city, quote unquote. Um, and I was uh, I was actually building houses for St. Bernard Project through AmeriCorps um, for uh, people who couldn't afford market rate contractors still recovering post-Katrina. Um, and that's really what <clears throat> brought me to the city full-time. Cool. Yeah. So the hospitality industry uh, beckoned at some point in time. Um, what was the what was the reason for that? Was it was it just a, f- a pure financial thing? Like you know, it's like, hey, I need to make some money to start paying my debts. Like nonprofits <laughs> don't pay the bills. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, the first like hospitality job that I ever had in a, a restaurant restaurant because I totally worked at Chick-fil-A as my first job ever. That's kind of awesome, by the right? way. So I, I'm going <laughs> to interrupt you right there. I don't think there's enough bartenders who have fast food experience. Uh, you learn a lot you working do. fast food. Also, I, w- I was stuck saying my pleasure to anyone who oh. said thank you to me for like two solid years after that. <laughs> do you still say that? No, God, no. No? Oh, man. That's, <laughs> a, that's a good pocket response, though. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, it makes me feel awkward now, though. It's like got that, uh, yeah, it's got that whole whole um uh think uh, no problem thing you ever heard that like when people say it's like oh yeah yeah it's in and like current generations say things like no problem or don't worry about it or something like that and like a bunch of old fogies oh are yeah like, you don't say that you don't make somebody think that they're having a problem or anything like that yeah that's exactly why they taught you to say my pleasure um it's because you don't you can't you're not allowed to say no problem yeah um <clears throat> but yeah i did that and then i um I went to LSU for like a hot minute and then dropped out. Um, and when I moved back to Slidell, my very first like actual restaurant job, I worked at the Ruby Tuesday in Slidell for about three years. Oh my god, um, I love your work history. Right <laughs> now. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so my my crappy little suburb in North Carolina, Ruby Tuesdays was like the high school hangout. Oh yeah, totally. Um, it was horrible. <laughs> After the football games, all the cool kids would go hang out at the Ruby Tuesdays oh, in the Matthews, North of, Carolina. Like, proms that I served there. <laughs> Prom night was like the hot oh. night at Ruby Tuesday, which was ridiculous. Like you've got a whole city full of amazing restaurants right across a lake. I can't afford it though, right? I mean, right? Yeah. Would you want to deal with all those? If you worked at a uh, restaurant in the city, would you oh, want to deal no. with the prom crowd? I'm really happy they go to Ruby Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a great time. Salad bar, you know. Oh, yeah. Build your own burger. Good to go. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I did that. And, uh, you know, I had pretty much every position at Ruby Tuesday outside of bartending. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came up hosting. I did uh, expo. I was a prep cook, a line cook. Um, I served. I was the salad bar attendant. Um did everything, and then I uh, joined AmeriCorps. I traveled around for uh, a year before I did uh, work with St. Bernard Project. So you, was that with uh, NCCC then? Yes, they're, I was doing NCCC. They're sort of the roving army of the AmeriCorps family. If you need a pile of gravel moved like 20 feet, call NCCC. They're, they're really, really good, good at, at that. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic gravel movers. <laughs> Sometimes okay at mowing lawns. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, so then I did SVP, and when I was out of that, I kind of wanted to stay a nonprofit. Didn't quite work out for me because there wasn't a lot of um, nonprofit that wasn't AmeriCorps. Um, and Actually, so- my, my trajectory that took New Orleans was very, mm-hmm. very similar. I, I moved down after the storm. I did a year with AmeriCorps City Year, 
which is some physical service projects, uh, but mostly working with, with, with school kids. And so we, we had a service learning program for middle school students that we ran. And then uh, I stuck around. I was thinking about going to grad school for public administration because I thought I would want to stick with the, the nonprofit thing. I looked for work in the nonprofit sector, and I eventually took a bartending job to make ends meet while I looked for a real job with air quotes. And, but because there's so, there so many people who had done the exact same thing at the exact same time and just mm-hmm. not enough nonprofits that had money for salaried positions. Yeah. Sure, you want to show up on the weekends and help out. They'll be more than happy to have you. But if they're going to, you're asking them to we pay love you money. Volunteers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I wound up just bar- bartending forever, essentially. Yeah. So <laughs> pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. Um, I wound up uh, landing a job at uh, Tacos and Beer. Okay. <laughs> um, Is that still open? I have no idea. No, Tacos and Beer was where the old uh, uh, Del Mar was, right? No. No, no it's on St. Charles, right next door to Blind Pelican, where Got I it. also worked. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> both are dubious. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wound up bartending at Tacos and Beer uh, for a little while, and then over at Blind Pelican, and then uh, Derek Brumfield actually got me into the cocktail scene. Um, he brought me on um, when he took like a break from Tolteca for a minute at this place called Evangeline um, <clears throat> on Decatur, um, and that's kind of where I got all my classic cocktail knowledge. Um, yeah. <clears throat> right by but, the firehouse. Yes, yeah, okay. right next door. Um, and then I moved up to New York for a bit. I was really convinced that I wanted to do woodworking and cabinetry. Okay. Um, so I moved to New York and I picked up a bar gig at this place called Cafe Colette, um, which has a really phenomenal bar program. Um, and I had absolutely no business working there. <laughs> um, but for some reason they hired me. Um, and I was doing cabinetry at this little cabinetry shop, realized I really hated cabinetry and I really loved bartending. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, cool, well, I'm doing this now. Um, and then I was bartending forever. And so I moved back, um, was helping uh, this guy open La Casita uh, Uptown and was going to run his bar program. And it just, you know, did not quite work out the way that I wanted it to. And Derek got me on board at Catahoula. And that's how I wound up at Catahoula. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. That is <clears throat> succinct and uh, important, I think. that's yes. like It's really interesting to me when you meet bartenders or hospitality professionals or any professional really and kind of the journey they've taken um kind of explains who they are a little bit i think that like you know bouncing around to all those places really shapes like my picture of who you are as Mm -hmm. sam so that's that's really really interesting um so um been at the catahoula for a little while i think you took a break to work at the ace hotel really briefly were you in between i was i was doing both i was you know I didn't have enough of the uh, really hip hotel bars, so I decided I needed to work <laughs> at two um, at one time. Um, so, yeah, did did Ace Hotel for about three months until like I just could not stand it anymore. Uh, the lobby bar, lots of <laughs> it's. I mean, it's a it's a great bar, but man, it just wears on you. The volume and the people and like kind of the way that people talk to you over there sometimes. It, right. it, it, it takes a very huge emotional toll. Um, <clears throat> so I did that for about three months. But yeah, I've been at Catahoula for over a year now. Cool. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Catahoula Hotel? Were you on the founding staff there? Um, yes and no. 
Um, I was hired before the bar ever opened, um, but I didn't actually come on to work um, until about a month after it officially opened. Because um, I was specifically hired um, for the rooftop, but mm. it turns out that everybody works both bars, um, which I think is also unique to a lot of the hotels. Um, the new ones, at least, that are opening here is usually you have two separate um, outlets and you have staff for one and staff for the other. Everyone works both bars at Catahoula, uh, which I think is also really cool. But um, to go back to your question, uh, Steve, is um, Catahoula is a Pisco bar, first and foremost. Um, we do um, Peruvian food and Peruvian Pisco. Um, I have a lot of feelings about Peruvian Pisco over Chilean Pisco, but we don't have to get into that. <laughs> we we'll have time to talk a little Pisco later. Um, our entire cocktail menu right now is uh, pretty much entirely Pisco or coffee. Um, cause we also have a, a pretty, pretty rad coffee program that was started by, um, El Eric Goldberg, who has since moved to Japan to teach English. Um, but, um, so, and then we do uh, a little bit of like traditional Peruvian street food as well. And then on the rooftop, um, right now we are running a wine program, um, trying to switch it up maybe a little soon, uh, but we'll see what that brings. Sure. Know. And the rooftop had started off, uh, there was kind of a tiki thing going on yeah. there originally, right? Yeah, we were doing a, a tiki blender bar, which uh, honestly, like the program for it was phenomenal. Unfortunately, tiki blender bar, um, not very ergonomic, not very fast. Mm. And uh, rooftops are kind of the happening thing right now, so you got to be able to serve people quickly. Um Blending drinks doesn't really lend itself to that. Cool. Um, so uh, th I think that's a really good point. So um, the gentleman who opened up um, uh, as the F&B director for the Catahoula Hotels, an old friend of mine, uh, Nathan Dalton, um, who's been pretty prolific in the cocktail scene down here for a little while. Um, Nathan is excessively <laughs> ambitious, I think. And uh, when the Catahoula opened up, um, there were certain things that made me kind of go like, Huh? That's interesting. <laughs> I want to see how that works out. Um, and I think, honestly, that it's a very good representation of any place that opens up. Like, you mm -hmm. open up with certain expectations, certain goals in mind, and then you kind of, like, you start with that big picture, and then you start shrinking down to, like, focus on, like, you know, this is what we can do. This is mm -hmm. how we make this viable and everything like that. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and talk to us a little bit about, you know, at first opening, you know, some of the things that y'all did, and then the adjustments you've made to where you are now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, when we first opened, we had this incredibly ambitious program. We had um, we had this uh, fishbowl kind of drink. It was called the Drink Tank Drunk Tank that was like blue curacao, um, granita, and uh, um, it was like Campari cotton candy and these like fish-shaped popsicles with this... Uh, cream that you poured over it into this fish tank bowl thing. Um, you can't serve that in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> it was that. That was a pretty expensive drink, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think too, it right? was like sixty dollars. But our uh, cotton candy bad. machine, uh, like, was always breaking, and also with the humidity, you actually can't make <laughs> cotton candy here. Um, so that uh, didn't quite work out so well. Um, and then our our uh, fish tanks kept breaking because they weren't tempered. Um, oh, no. Yeah. So, and it would take, it would take like 30 minutes to prep the drink. Mm -hmm. um, and 
we had to, that was the first one to go. Um, um, But, you know, we we still have a lot of really cool experience drinks on the menu. That was very much like um, Nathan's focus. Uh, He wanted to create some sort of, um, you know, experience outside of just simply drinking a drink and being at a bar. So we've got a couple of things that are like the Oevo, which he started at Tiki Tolteca with this, um, this, uh, aged eggs where you like put eggs and lime juice and you age it for a couple of weeks and blend it all together with Pisco and Falernum and all this crazy stuff. And then you eat this Jambu flower and it makes you feel like you are licking a nine volt battery for like five minutes straight. Um, <laughs> I, I gotta say that's intriguing to me now that uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> <laughs> at risk of tipping my hand too much, mm. licking a nine volt battery. <laughs> I'm interested. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just go back and listen to podcasts back and we'll get a better idea of that. I think. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Noted. We'll do. Um, so, I mean, those those kinds of things we still have on the menu and we, we do them well. Um, but for the rooftop, you know, Nathan really wanted to bring a little bit of um, dignity back to blended drinks because, you know, we live in New Orleans. There's daiquiris all over the place and they're the, like... Um, sugary and ever clear mix of nastiness more or less um which are delicious and have their place but oh yeah yeah totally just you know you need one of them you're totally cool like maybe once every couple of months (laughs) or more especially if you're at jeans um or melba's shout out Um, or 12 mile limit (laughs) brain medicine Come come get that brain medicine um I'm I'm mostly talking about the Bourbon Street style, but um, so he wanted to put together uh, blended tiki drinks, um, fresh fruit. We had like frozen pineapple and frozen bananas and and strawberries and a bunch of stuff that we prep out uh, every day. We made birds out of pineapples, which is really hard to explain to people who can't actually see them. Um, we had. <laughs> We had um, a drink that we served in a pineapple. We're making our own like kefir lime coconut cream liqueur. Um, we were doing this giant watermelon whale where we carved a watermelon into a whale and it served six people and it always wound up outside of barrel proof somehow. Um, <laughs> It's like the free willy of watermelon, like yeah. you know, whales. It yeah, just jumps I would always get texts proof. from my friend being like. Your whale's here. <laughs> um, <but laughs> Those bars are like a mile apart from each other. It's not like it's across the and street. And that whale is not light. Like, it's a watermelon, <laughs> you know? Those drunk people are just carrying a watermelon through the CBD in the warehouse district. Like... <laughs> Skipping I, along. I'd like to think that they're actually on their way to the Saint or someplace further oh, up. Down, sure. they and they're just like, they like, can't make it any farther. Like, Fuck it. <laughs> or maybe that's that's how long it takes for a group to drink it, is, is that is the three-quarter mile long. They finish it like, eh. I mean, it's a great go-cup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really fantastic go-cup. Yeah, green completely, right? I mean, compostable. Yeah, <laughs> no? absolutely. Return to the earth from whence it came. <laughs> People always took the pineapples over to uh, Tanique too, and like <laughs> made them put more drinks in the pineapples. That yeah. was great. Um, but for that, you know, the the prep hours and the labor that went into that particular program uh, was just not something that a first year bar could really support. Mm-hmm. Um, being honest about that, 
Um, <clears throat> and as the whole like rooftop bar scene trend started to pick up, mm -hmm. uh, we were losing more and more people due to the fact that it took us, you know, three minutes to serve one drink. Um, and we just couldn't, you know, we couldn't do it anymore. Um, <clears throat> so we, we decided to switch over to wine, um, for now, just because it's, um, it's something that we can get out real fast. Uh, mm -hmm. that bar, unfortunately, is not really set up for, um, any sort of volume service, uh, especially cocktail. Um, but we're working on, um, a new program, not going to say what it is yet, uh, Ooh, but come look, on, that's why you come on a podcast hey. is to let let the let the uh, news out, right? Look forward to some uh, really interesting new tiki, some some fresh tiki though is is what I can say. Fresh tiki <laughs> done at volume. Uh, uh, right. It's that's... it's uh it's going to be different. Something that um as far as I'm aware, no one is doing bottle um, tiki cocktails. No. <sighs> <laughs> thought, I, thought I got you figured out. Tiki on tap. Ooh. <laughs> 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 well, you're speaking my language, definitely. I actually just, um, uh, in between our last couple of podcasts, I just recently started back at Latitude 29, which Ooh. is, uh, you know, my heart and soul is that Tiki Blender bar. So that's kind of good. So I'll be uh, definitely looking forward to uh, this new venture. Yeah. No, I, I, I really like this space. The Catahoula, we can talk a little bit more about how it compares and contrasts to some of the other hotel bars downtown. I recently helped the uh, bar program get off the ground at the... Oh, what? Troubadour. Thanks. No <laughs> worries, buddy. <laughs> there with the assist. At the Troubadour Hotel. It's a Joie de Vie Hotel. So it's part of, a, part of a chain to a certain extent. Each one's different, has a different identity in each different city. And they followed sort of the similar model. They have a they have a, a restaurant bar. They have a lobby bar on the second floor. They have a rooftop bar called Monkey Board, and their their layout's a bit more traditional. Uh, that you know, it, it feels more like a hotel. And then there are a few that like the Ace is uh, there, but they're, they're, the Troubadour was sort of responding to some of the earlier adopters of that model. The Ace mm -hmm. being specifically. Like when the when the troubadour opened, I was in a lot of meetings. And they specifically talked about trying to reach a demographic that they felt that the ace had left behind, which for them was normal people. Like that, the ace was specifically <laughs> targeting. And I, and I, I I'm I don't consider myself a normal person, but I can move in those worlds <laughs> if I need to. I, I'm sort of a, a like a closet weirdo to a certain extent. Like it takes people a little while to realize how weird I am. <laughs> Because I have a normal haircut. <laughs> um, One night at the Claremont Lounge in Atlanta, we can figure this out. <laughs> You're just saying that because I like paying strippers a dollar to smack me in the face. <laughs> I feel like that's pretty normal. Where is this podcast going? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they were. They felt that the Ace was going out of their way to be sort of weird and independent. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like I said, that the that there's there's room for that. But the Troubadour felt that their niche could be the normal like you know, just, just your your suburbanites, your your middle aged people with leaving the kids at home and going out on a Saturday night. You know, that that, that could be their 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 demo. Do you think that and then I'm not sure like I think maybe Hot Tin and the Pontchartrain Hotel, they're going for a bit more of a classic Mm -hmm. old school like 50s new orleans vibe yeah which has a bit of a like a tiki aesthetic but isn't really a tiki thing that they're doing 
It's like a like sort of a fifties jet setter world traveler kind yeah, of vibe. Okay. Um, what what is the the Catahoula's niche in that? I mean, the Pisco thing is certainly a hook, uh, mm. but where where do you where do you fit into that that landscape of hotel bars downtown these days? Um, I think for certain we are trying to be maybe a little bit more neighborhood than your average CBD hotel bar. Um, we definitely get a lot of repeat return, like people who are in there every single day, all the time. I'm on a first name basis with a ton of people who come into that bar, um, on a regular basis. Um, so there's I people think, who live in the CBD, you're saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a big surprise, but there's like a lot of them. <laughs> Just thought they were empty condominiums. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the CBD for a while was one of the fastest growing residential neighborhoods in the city. Yeah. So it's good that there are options where they feel at home. And the, and I don't for those of you who aren't aware, for, relative to these other hotels that we're talking about, the Catahoula is, is a fraction of the size. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are a 35-room boutique hotel <laughs> with a very, very um, kind of tight... Uh, lobby bar. Um, there's not a whole lot of room to move around, um, but still very well laid out and well designed. And then the rooftop also, um, you know, in comparison to all these other places, very small. Um, but again, it's got this kind of like larger it- than it is feel to it. Yeah. No, I really, I really like the rooftop at, at, at the Catahoula. Not I mean, not that honestly, almost all of them. Like, I would, I would hang out at Monkey Board. I would hang out at Alto. I would hang out at Hot Tin. There aren't of all the of the, those bars that have opened recently. Like, I think most of them they feel kind of very different and unique one to the next. Yeah, absolutely. But I really like the sort of the intimacy uh, mm-hmm. of, of the Catahoula. It's like you don't have the the towering views that you're getting at Monkey Board, which is the bar on top of the Troubadour Hotel. You don't have a pool like the Ace Hotel has. <laughs> um, but you, it has it has an intimacy to it. It feels like you're outside, so you get the it's breezy and it's 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 pleasant and it, it's got a nice vibe to it, but it, it feels kind of cozy, yeah. which you don't get on the rooftops of any of these other places, right. which have more of a like a grandiose feel to them. <laughs> yeah, I always feel kind of like I am more a part of the city when I'm like on the roof at mm. Catahoula, just because you've got all you you can't see any of the streets below you, but you can see like all of these buildings count towering above you and kind of stacked on top of each other. And it gives this feeling of just being like very um, within the city, but also on this kind of secluded island type feel Hmm. just with the way that it's laid out. And maybe that's just me because I'm up there all the damn time. (laughs) I think it's a good draw for people to want to come there and check it out then to see if that's exactly how they feel when they're up there as well. Yeah. I mean, true. Plus there's that one shot that everyone likes to take of the, uh, what is that building with the the dome on top? I always forget the name so of the it. The Hibernia. Yeah, the that the right. Hibernia yeah. Bank Building. Everyone likes to take that shot of the. Hey, also we're like the ninth most Instagrammable hotel in the world. Really? According to Vogue. Oh. <laughs> Vogue knows its uh, photography. Come on, <laughs> Vogue. <laughs> See what I did there? Okay, thanks, Madonna. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't believe in transitions here on Around with Stephen Cole, so let's just go ahead and move straight on from there. So, uh, Sam, you are now in uh, the position of F&B director, yes. uh, which is congratulations Thank you. on that as well. Um, I think that... Um, I've got a lot of thoughts with management as far as it comes to the hospitality <laughs> industry. Um, Steve has 
he's been suckered into management positions before and I think is extremely happy to <laughs> never do that again. <laughs> I will never say never on that. I mean, it's always there's always a draw to it. I think that I've I've been um, weathered and seasoned and prepared in this case uh, to jump into management positions. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so one of the things uh, is it's a difficult transition. You are uh, have been elevated to being everybody's boss basically after yes. working with a lot of these people. So that's yes. a challenge to deal with. Um, and you definitely have some very uh, some really great political leanings and thoughts and things like that as well. Um, being a longtime resident of the city and um, just you know lifestyle and everything like that as well. Um, I think that uh, there's some interesting parallels that come with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the things I've always struggled with with management um, particularly, I, I think you are a job creator. You're a provider of lifestyles and things like that. And um, you know, sometimes I feel that when you're a manager, you can't kind of uh, – uh, <laughs> I'm having a hard time trying to put this sentence together. I think. <laughs> but you have a hard time um, being able to do everything that you want to politically. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that part where like, you know, the business kind of like clashes a little with your personal politics. Um, why don't we talk about just, you know, your, your introduction to management, if you have any management experience before this, and then kind of your expectations and what you think you can achieve by mm-hmm. being a, you know, FB director at a hip hotel that provides good jobs for people. <laughs> um, so I have a little bit of, um, food and beverage management from before, from when I was um, opening up the tacos and beer, or not tacos and beer, what's that other uh, Mexican place that I worked at? La Casita, uptown. Mm. <laughs> um, but um, that was relatively short-lived, and that was kind of a, a, a tough uphill battle as far as like what I was able to do and the structure and uh, hiring and just kind of the whole thing. Um, my, I, I do have a lot of management and... Um, just people management, because uh, I spent a whole year uh, teaching a bunch of people who had never built a house before how to build a house. Um, and I did that, you know, I, I taught them basically a very specific skill uh, to a new group of volunteers every single week. Um, so I feel like that kind of aids me a lot in this endeavor, at least in managing people. Um, <clears throat> as far as my political views and like what I would like to accomplish as an F and B director and the direction that I would like to take this bar. Um, honestly, I have a really incredible staff as of right now. And I also have a really incredible, um, support network and, um, the owners are very, very open and positive and supportive and, um, allowing me to do the things that I would really like to do. Um, point in case I've got a queer dance party happening on the rooftop Saturday for pride. Um, and I've been able to put on, uh, and also advertise several different, um, fundraisers and, and various, uh, events <clears throat> that I put on before I did the Gulf restoration network, um, fundraiser that they allowed me to like just plaster all of my posters everywhere for it and also steal all the ice. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, as far as the, the direction of the bar, like, um, first my, my staff is almost entirely female right now, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. Um, I've got one guy 
but he's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) Better be. I was saying something about us having like an almost entirely female staff, and he was like, I like to think of it as slightly male. (laughs) 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 It was a joke, though. And we were like, so how much male? And he was like, 1%. (laughs) He was calling himself the 1%. Whoa. (laughs) Typical man. Is he white, too? Jeez Louise. Um, (laughs) Yes, he is white. Sam, I've got to ask. Um, I perhaps mistakenly, I've I, I've always sort of assumed you preferred uh, female gender pronouns. So I've thought of you as a like a her, she, hers. Um, but I was I I, refer, I was talking with somebody else about you recently. Uh, all good. Um, <laughs> I would hope. And and it came up that perhaps you would prefer a different gender pronoun. So do you consider yourself a part of the female membership of the staff? And if not, <laughs> uh, where do you fall on the gender spectrum? It's not binary. Um, it's, uh, so so uh, for the gender spectrum in and of itself, yeah, absolutely non-binary. I prefer, um, you know, gender neutral pronouns, they, them, theirs, that whole thing. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of a, a complicated thing whenever you start getting into the demographics of your staff in that way though and like where you fall into it um obviously born female assigned lived my life and still to an extent live my life as a female you know at least vaguely presenting person however a lot of times i come out of bathrooms and people are like looking at the door like did i go into the right one and i'm like yeah you did homie it's cool um <laughs> fist bump on the way out <laughs> Um, but I mean, in, in that instance, like, um, I still kind of align myself to the, uh, you know, obviously female side of that, um, demographic, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, So towards that end of the spectrum, but not so far that you fully identify as female. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, I I don't like when I think of me as myself, I do not like consider a gender at all. Um, I don't feel like I fit into any sort of, you know, labeled box thing when it comes to that. Has that created any, any difficulties for you in the industry? We've, we've talked to a lot of different female bartenders, like fully female identified bartenders uh, about, the difficulties of being a woman in the bartending trade, uh, do you feel that there are any specific difficulties that you found um, being a, a female body person but not necessarily fitting in with any what people associate as one of the two genders, even though, again, we've mm-hmm. talked about it's a spectrum. There's, there's six billion people in the world. There's six billion different genders in the world. Um, <laughs> So, but is, has that been a struggle for you at all? Or do you, have you, have you found that just because of the places that you've worked that you found an acceptance there? Or has it just not been an issue at all? And maybe I'm, I'm unnecessarily worried on your behalf. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's that been like for you? Because if, if it's, a, it's a relatively, at least in terms of our podcast, it's a relatively unique perspective that yeah. we haven't had on before. Um, so for me, it's, uh, it's been kind of a, a little bit of an interesting journey. Um, I think I've kind of, um, to very few people began like openly identifying um, as non-binary uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, however, like working in hospitality, working in the service industry, you cannot convince every guest. Ooh. 
that walks into your bar that you would not like them to gender you. That's like not a thing that you can do. It's just impossible, you know? Sounds like Um, it'd be exhausting. Yeah, also that it's like every single person's like, hey, call me they. And it's like, okay, I'm just over this. I can't do that. Um, So for a long time, I just kind of set it aside, like I tabled it, uh, simply because if I couldn't, if I if I wasn't going to do that work um, with every person that I interacted, I kind of rationalized with myself that I just shouldn't do it at all. Um, it's a kind of weird way of thinking about it, but that's the way I thought about it. Um, when it comes to, um, you know, working now behind the bar, my uh, I've got also like a, a very large queer presence on my staff um, currently. So everyone there is, you know, very supportive. And um, as soon as I told everyone, they were like, oh, yeah, duh. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> right, of course. Why didn't I do that before? Um, but uh, it it's also a little bit of a, a double-edged sword um, when you start talking about, like, women behind the bar and women's issues. I think, um, in a way, I get... Uh, some of the same treatment that uh, women do behind a bar in this industry. But in another way, I also feel like I'm at an advantage at that point. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of times um, men look at me um, and kind of see me as like a bro, you know, it's like a, a homie that, you know, so I, I it, it's like a an advantage uh, based on their perception of me, um, which has, uh, you know, it's been interesting to compare um, where I am to a lot of my other friends and like my my experience behind the bar and the way that um, people treat me in comparison to them. I, I can totally get that, that <clears throat> the guys treating you like one of the guys kind of aspect. And for me, I, I really like, talking to um, women or people who identify closer to women on the spectrum, uh, women who date women about dating women. Because <laughs> as a guy, like if you're just only talking to other guys about dating women, we're so dumb. We're so dumb. <laughs> and women, it turns out, it's really comforting for me when I talk to women who date women about dating women that they are as mystified by women as I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, what I say is, like, it's people are just people. Like, we're, yeah. all, we're all nuts. We're all nuts. It's Nobody true. We all have sense. our own specific <laughs> weirdnesses that need to be dealt with. But for, for a lot of guys, I think that you can fi- talk, talk, to, talk to Dykes about women because <laughs> they will give like they're just as confused as we are and you you would think they have some specific like advantage like oh yeah they'll they're going to be really great at they they know women because they are women it's like no they no. don't we, we're all we're all different we're all we all have our weirdnesses <laughs> but that's I really enjoy that when it, when that when you have those opportunities when you can when you can talk to somebody who is sort of of the group that you're interested in, but there's really no chance of you, you and them ever having a thing. It can mm-hmm. create interactions that are really unique and special in a way. Um, I'm, I'm curious though. We, we, you talked about having a lot of uh, a lot of regulars, mm-hmm. and you talked about not talking to every single guest who comes into the bar about the pronouns that you would rather they use when talking to or about you. How well? Do you have to know a guest before you're like, you know what? 
we've been doing this for a while. Maybe <laughs> you should know this about me. What do you have? You gotten to that point with any of your guests? And and where do you? I mean, is, I'm assuming it's just something that happens organically at some point. But is there a line? And where where when does that happen? Can you describe any one of those interactions before? Um. Yeah. I there are a couple of people that I have. Um, that are regulars that know now. Um, I, I kind of um, liken it to when you walk into a, a bar and you read the room and you figure out like what you can and can't order there. Um, but opposite, it's like when your regular is constantly coming in and uh, you know that they're just some like old dude who likes to drink El Dorado 12-year uh, every single night. Um <laughs> And that they're not very like progressive thinking. You're not going to tell them that you would prefer uh, they not gender you, you know. But um, I have um, a very specific uh, group of regulars that come in. They're um, uh, younger guys. They used to be activists. Um, they do um, immigration work. I think now I could be making that part up. Um, <clears throat> and I told them, and they were like, "Oh yeah, cool." Hmm. Thanks for letting me know. There, I mean, those guys are almost like my friends at this point, though. Yeah. Has there have, has there been anybody that it, behind the bar or just in your personal life? And if this is a, st- a story you'd rather not relate, I, I perfectly understand. Uh, but who has not reacted as positively as all of the? Because everyone you described so far, you, you told and you, they've been yeah, cool. Um, which I hope is the norm. But have, have has there been anyone you rolled it out to and you'd be like, that's not a thing, or um, you're just, this is a phase, or just or just took it in a way that offended you, or uh, or was less than positive. Um, there have certainly been people who um, I've told and they they clearly have not really made an effort to try. Like I understand using a, a plural pronoun on a singular person is something that it takes people a minute to get used to and I get it and also you've been calling me she for like ever so you're kind of used to doing that so you kind of got to get into that habit um and that totally makes sense to me and I'm not one of those people who are just like oh do it now and I hate you forever if you slip up you know um but there are definitely some people um who are good friends of mine who are who are in the industry and also outside of the industry who I have told and who have clearly just like not made an effort um, and that it's it's more like a, a a little bit of a a sting than it is like people um just being like oh that doesn't exist they just don't seem to really care or think much about it is really I feel like how it's going with that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's a pretty good point in general as well. When it, um, I, you know, I, I've, I've trying to become a bigger proponent of this as well. Like where you know, there's been a real like normalization of the cocktail community, and I mm-hmm. use those words very, very loosely because <laughs> I don't believe in that term anymore. Like calling yeah. us a cocktail community. Um, our community needs to be the place that we live in and the places that we can affect, and we need to be reflective of our communities. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the world is not the rest of the U.S. I mean, from city to city, it's not the same. It's not New Orleans. You know, we're a very unique place, and to consider ourselves to be a community, our bar places and our, our, our not only like our staff but our customers mm-hmm. need to start reflecting the people who actually live in the city. Oh, yeah. That's something I struggle with a lot. I'm sure that you can definitely struggle. You definitely <laughs> like have issues with it as well, but like working in the cocktail uh, like the higher end side of bartending um, you know, our demographic is typically affluence, you know, typically white, like 
you know it's not you know it's very hard to crack that nut to like mm-hmm. you know like you know make a space that's safe for people who are queer or especially for like you know black people in the city as well or any minority really in the city to make a bar space that is safer that that feels comfortable people to drink in and to work in mm-hmm. um what are your thoughts on that um <laughs> <laughs> in general in that 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 small little yes, bit yes <laughs> could you just give me a sentence on that yeah, yeah. <laughs> 140 characters or less yes <laughs> we've only got 20 yes, seconds let left. me Go. tweet this real quick um <laughs> sad very sad <laughs> <laughs> bigly um uh, <laughs> does anyone an know how the comey thing went uh, <laughs> <laughs> um get back to the subject at hand um so uh there's a, a lot of layers to what you just said. Um, I am consciously making strides um, to make my bar a space that um, every intersection of every community that I am a part of feels safe in. Um, the queer community, POC, local New Orleanians who don't necessarily get out of, um, you know, what they've been born and raised in and what they know, because there's such a rift between like the people who are here, who have come here from outside of New Orleans and the people who were raised here and only know like the very little bit that they've been raised in. Um, and, uh, trying to, uh, what, what I'm trying to do really is to create uh, a place where everyone feels comfortable and safe and at home and um like that um you know this is a space that caters to them um constantly working on hiring um you know a more diverse staff um and having better representation in in um the people who work behind the bar who reflect the community that I would like to be there Um, and putting on events that bring in those people. um, And, you know, we've managed to uh, very naturally garner the reputation of being a a very safe space for women to inhabit, um, which is great being a bar in the CBD where you've got a lot of like suits and bros that like to go hang out for happy hour um, being that place that is on top of getting those people out who are just so, um, aggressive, uh, has been, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, we've, we've put in a lot of work for that. Um, and, uh, it's kind of only just starting also in, in the, the work that I would like to do, um, mostly because this is work that I've been pushing from simply behind the bar and not in a manager position. But now that I'm in that position, I can, I can only go to further that um, that work. Awesome. So, um, I, I had a, uh, I had the pleasure of being on, uh, Brian Diaz's show. Uh, I think we all have multiple times at this point. Sure. Um, <laughs> and I got to appear with, uh, Ashenberry and Johnny from over mm-hmm. at Tonique. And, um, he really opened my eyes to, um, an issue that I hadn't even really thought about. I mean, I've, I've got my amount of privilege that I, that I occupy that I mean, there's certain things that, you know, I don't even consider, but, um, there's a big push for uh, intersectionalism at this point mm-hmm. to make spaces that are inviting to everybody. But uh, do you feel at this point that New Orleans is starting to lose the spaces that are specific towards you know certain uh, certain races and also to like the queer community, especially? I mean, like the Country Club's a perfect example of that, oh, which yeah. was a, a safe queer space for so long until it started being invaded by people from uptown and people from out of town, and now it's just it's not what it used to be yeah. like at all. Um, so, do you feel that it's a necessity in New Orleans to have spaces like that? That, um, 
or do you feel more that like you know we need to be pushing for like just these intersectional places that everybody feels welcome at oh i absolutely feel that um we need to have spaces for you know individual communities as well um one uh, there's there's this really phenomenal um podcast and uh, organization they also put on a play it's called last call they did the uh the play alleged lesbian activities and it was about the dozens of lesbian bars that uh were in new orleans up until the early 2000s and what happened to all of them um Hmm. and why they're all gone because there's there's a reason why they're all gone and it's because of um you know a more openness about people's gender and sexuality and and who they are, uh, but that doesn't take away from the fact that you still need those communities um, to kind of uh, just inform you on on like your history. Uh, you know, when when you grow up, um, I, when I grew up as you know Islanos, I knew that my family had been shrimp trawling forever. Um, but when you realize that you're real gay, you know, you don't have anyone around you to inform you on that. And like, um, the history of that community and having those spaces, uh, for those individual communities, um, is kind of a a place of growth, I think, to me. Um, we've got lots of, you know, bars for gay men to go hook up in. Um, (laughs) but we don't have like designated queer spaces. And I think that's really important. And like, as Johnny was saying, like designated, um, bars for people of color, um, to just like go and talk about, you know, how, how shitty other people are to you sometimes and like be with people who share the same experience that you have, um, Unfortunately, you know, with my bar, that's not something I can really do. I would love to be able to, but mm-hmm. um, they are those spaces are kind of of the utmost importance, I think. Cool. Yeah, that's uh, it's one of those weird things. It's just um, you know, how do you open a space like that? It's it's nothing you can manufacture, you know. And I think that yeah. like you know, in a vein like you know, we were talking about other hotels at some point too. Um, there's these cultures that are definitely just completely artificial. They're manufactured, but those natural spaces are so important. And in mm-hmm. New Orleans right now, especially with the black community, like those spaces are being, you know, they're being exposed and now they're being uh, monetized and they're just become part of the tourism machine as well yeah. too. Places like, you know, bullets, places like Vaughn's, the candlelight lounge, um, you know, Oop-oop-a-doo is going <laughs> the entire stretch which is yeah. being palmazano is coming in and redoing all that area for condominiums or a new oh. hotel or something i think it's just it's yeah. you know i am not a new orleans native but um you know i have a lot of appreciation for the city and it does you know it strikes a chord with me to see that these spaces are being pushed away and that we're mm-hmm. slowly losing these things um yeah so that's kind of a bummer I was working on a story of just like heartwarming connections that people have made behind the bar, and you told me something. That this and this kind of brings us back to where we started with your, your with your family history and an experience that you had. I believe it was at the Catahoula, mm-hmm. uh, with some uh, with some gentlemen who were doing some uh, some work on the coast. And so I was wondering if you could relay that story here because I think it would be a nice way to bring back the 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 way that bars can kind of surprisingly bring people together. So yeah. if you want to share a little bit about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was behind the bar at Catahoula. It was a, a pretty slow night. And um, as I often do, I was kind of half tuning into the only two people's conversation at the bar because there wasn't much else for me to do at that point. Kind of hard not to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and so I was catching bits and pieces of it. And I could tell that they were, they definitely um, worked in environmentalism. Uh, one of them was talking about a reef off of the Chandelure Islands. Um, and so eventually I was like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna ask him about it. So I was like, do you, do you guys work in like coastal restoration? Um, and they were like, yeah, we, um, one of them I think was a, um, environmental engineer. Um, and the other, uh, was, um, had something to do with marine life. I don't exactly know what it was. And I was like, oh, well, you know, honestly just thank you you know my my family is from delacro um in the over the course of 30 years it went from having this like lush hardwood forest to basically just being a road and a small strip of land there's not much else there anymore um and they're like actually that's like one of the big projects that we're working on um restoring coastal lands to protect the area of delacro and lower saint bernard parish and i was like that's amazing. That's so phenomenal. And thank you guys. And then I bought them their drinks. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really cool to have that, like just in a bar, you know, minding my own damn business. Um, to the best and, of your ability. Well, yeah, maybe not actually minding my business at all. Um, Turns out it was, uh, was your business. Right. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Was that before or after the, the GRN benefit that you helped produce? Before, long before. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Cool. Um, at that point, I had no idea I was even going to do that. I would have totally invited them if I did know. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Cool. All righty. Well, I think that's a, a good note to uh, to actually kind of wrap it up here. Um, we could go on talking forever. We'd love to have you back, Sam, and explore some of these issues that we kind of touched on briefly here on Around with Stephen Cole. Yeah, I definitely think we could do an episode on affinity spaces. Most about a, Yeah. I'm so. definitely no expert to talking, but I'm very interested in the subject. <laughs> well, we can find one, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. So. Um, so here on Around with Stephen Cole, we always like to leave with parting shots. Um, we like to just surprise people and you know get those get those hot takes and see if they've got anything to say. So um, why don't you go ahead and wrap up, Sam, and let us know, once again, who you are and where our listeners can find you. Um, I am Sam Perez, uh, food and beverage director of the Catahoula Hotel. You can find me there. Um, like kind of always, uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually heading there in about five minutes, <laughs> heading there in about five minutes. And if I'm not there, I'm probably on Rampart street. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to let our guests know about you or about your bar program? Um, we, so if you are queer and you are listening, we are having a, uh, pride dance party on the rooftop, uh, this Saturday afternoon starts at four. It's called power tops. And what date would that be? Just in case Saturday, June 10th. There it is. Um, All right. We're going to get this out tomorrow. Yeah. I'll have it out. <laughs> yes. Tomorrow. Definitely. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, so come through for that, uh, about my bar. Um, look forward to some cool new stuff on the horizon. And cool. Secret Tiki as well, too, right? Secret Tiki. All right, Nicole. What you got for us, brother? Um, I really... Um I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a new landscape downtown right now. There's a lot of there's a lot of exciting things happening, and I am really happy for you, Sam, that you're you're uh, seem to be an integral part of that right now. So thanks for coming on the podcast. I usually try to 
have something long-winded and philosophical to say in these moments. But I'm happy to have you both on the podcast and as a member of our greater New Orleans bartending community. I think you add a lot of value to both. Thank so you. Thank you and for being here. Thanks for having me on this podcast today. Yeah. Right on, right on. Uh, I'll wrap up. I think Cole kind of like summed it up for me as well, too. Um, you know, a lot of people have started to complain a little bit about New Orleans being a transient city, uh, people just doing their time here and then moving on. Um, we see that a lot, but there are leaders within this industry. Uh, it's great to see somebody who is a local, like a real local, has history here, has roots here, and is looking to better the city and represents a good swath of things that are underrepresented in the city. It gives you a lot of hope for the direction that we can go in and the things that we can aspire for. Um, I think that, you know, there, the bar is the perfect place to be able to remove ourselves from that echo chamber that we see on Twitter and Facebook and just everybody who agrees what we agree with. And we can kind of meet in the middle and touch a lot of other people's lives and hopefully educate them a little bit in a proper direction. Um, so yeah. So thanks for that, Sam. Thanks a lot for coming on to around with Stephen Cole. Uh, I am Steve Yamada. I am T. Cole Newton. And uh, thanks a lot for coming back, y'all. We'll be back on a regular weekly basis from here on out. And uh, cheers. Cheers.